In an authentic hadith, our Prophet wasallam said that whoever enters upon the Sultan has exposed himself to fitna. This hadith is in Abu Dawud. In another hadith, the Prophet said, Man ata abwaba Sultan, whoever enters the doors of the Sultan, uftutin. He is causing fitna for himself. The closer a person gets to the Sultan, the farther he gets from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In hadith in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, our Prophet said, I warn you from frequenting the palaces of the rulers. There are a number of traditions in our hadith literature that caution us, especially the scholars, from associating with the ruling class. And because of this, throughout our Islamic history, checks and balances must exist. Throughout our Islamic history, who will put the rulers under checks and balances? It has been the scholars. The one category of people throughout Islamic history who have had the courage and the audacity really to stand up to tyrannical rulers and to put rulers in place has always been the righteous scholars. Sometimes those scholars ended up in jail. Sometimes they were killed. Many times they were persecuted, sent into exile. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sunnah is that the names of those scholars and the legacies of those scholars and the respect of those scholars remains until the day of judgment. Even if their bloods are shed in this world. But when you speak the truth, and that's why our Prophet said, Afdarul jihad is what? The highest level of jihad is what? The highest level. It is to speak the truth in front of a tyrant. That level of fear, because when you speak the truth in front of a tyrant, generally this is your tyrant, your flesh and blood, your land. It is your people. That's why you're there. And for you to speak in front of that tyrant, there is no one to protect you after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our history is full of the legacies of these great ulama. And today we're going to go over some of them and then conclude with some thoughts, inshallah, for the current crises that we are facing in our times. And subhanAllah, as I was preparing my lecture today, wallahi, I thought, where do I even begin? There's so many examples, so many examples. But I thought at least some examples that we should all be aware of. Of course, we begin with the infamous Hajjaj ibn Yusuf and how many ulama stood up. Even Anas ibn Malik stood up in front of Hajjaj. How many great scholars re rebuked Hajjaj? Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, he was executed because of al-Hajjaj. And Hassan al-Basri publicly gathered a crowd in Basra. And he gave a khutbah and he gave a speech in which he made dua against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf for all the zulm and the bloodshed he had caused. And they even said, are you not worried about being killed? And he said, my dam, my blood is too cheap in my eyes that I'm worried about this. Not something I'm worried about what Hajjaj is going to do. The scholars were the ones to point out the zulm of Hajjaj. And when the Umayyads were overthrown and the Abbasids came to power, one of the uh, Abbasid rulers was Abu Ja'far al-Mansur. And Abu Ja'far al-Mansur was well known for his zulm. And he had done a lot of evil things. And his time frame coincided with that of Imam Abu Hanifa. Imam Abu Hanifa, the famous scholar, it coincided with Abu Ja'far al-Mansur. And Abu Hanifa did not like Abu Ja'far al-Mansur. In fact, Abu Hanifa's heart was with another you know, group of people that had rebelled and whatnot, but khair, it didn't happen. And Abu Ja'far went over. So Abu Ja'far wanted to test Abu Hanifa. Is your heart still with that group? Because in the end, Abu Ja'far won. So he called Abu Hanifa his, his palace. And he said, 
I want to appoint you to be the chief mufti, the qadi al-qudah of my regime. Can you imagine? He didn't like Abu Hanifa, but he realized if he's in my payroll, he's going to be my person. And I'm under his control. He's going to be under my control. And Abu Hanifa refused. And Abu Ja'far al-Mansur made an oath with Allah. He said, Wallahi, I'm giving a qasam. You're going to be the qadi al-qudah. Now I am the Khalifa. I have given a qasam in the name of Allah. Right? So Imam Abu Hanifa said, And I swear by Allah, I will never take this position. Two qasam back and forth. Right? So the guy, the, the, the vizier said, Oh Abu Hanifa, how could you make a qasam against his qasam? He said Allah's name. How could you invoke Allah's name qasam? Abu Hanifa said, The Khalifa to make kafara, he has a lot more money than I do. So if he makes kafara, it's easier for him. But for me, I don't have the money for that kafara. So Abu Ja'far said, look at the, the, the brutality. If you don't become the chief qadi, I shall imprison you. Abu Hanifa said, khalas, imprison me. And he was imprisoned and tortured and he died in jail. The great Abu Hanifa, he died 150 Hijra. Do you know why? Because Abu Ja'far al-Mansur wanted to make sure that there was no opposition. Abu Hanifa, the people loved him. Abu Hanifa, everybody knew who he was. His heart was not with the regime. And the regime wanted him. They wanted to bribe him. Whatever salary you want, whatever. He said, no, it's not going to happen. And because of this, what happened, happened. Another great scholar, his name should be known to everybody. He is in fact called the Sultan of the scholars. Al-Iz ibn Abdul Salam. His laqab, his title, Sultan al-Ulama. That's what our scholars call him. And his story and his life is full of standing up against evil and tyranny. He lived at a time when Jerusalem was under occupation. He lived at a time when there was so much civil war between Muslim lands. And multiple times he stood up and he took a stand against the tyranny, against the regime. Perhaps the most famous and the most dangerous time when the crusaders were in Jerusalem. So as you're aware, uh, some of the regimes sided with the crusaders. Or maybe you're not aware, I'll tell you, right? Even now, some regimes side with, you know, people they shouldn't side with, right? Some regimes sided with the crusaders. And they allowed the crusading army to come into Damascus. When I say crusaders, understand, they were crusader states. They were multiple kingdoms within uh, Jerusalem area, within what we call Palestine. And so there was civil war between two Muslims. So one of the rulers allied with one of the Christians against the Muslim, as we have it now as well. So the ruler of Damascus, where Al-Iz was, Al-Iz ibn al-Sultan, allied with the Christian king to fight war against a Muslim. So he allowed the Christians who were occupying Baytul Maqdis to come into Damascus to buy and sell in Damascus, to have trade with Damascus, right? To have trade with Muslims, he allowed this. We have these days people, anyway, I don't want to get too explicit, but Allah Mustaan, we have this reality, right? So, Al-Iz ibn Abdul Salam, when the qarar, when the decision came that we're going to have cordial relations with this regime, right? And the crusaders can come into our land and enjoy Damascus, buy and sell, even weapons, you can buy and sell. Al-Iz ibn Abdul Salam, you know what his position was? He was the Imam of the Umayyad Masjid. Do you understand what that means? The biggest masjid and the largest audience and the most respected Imam and Sheikh. And he gave the Jumu'ah khutbah all about this issue. And at the end of that khutbah, he gave a very severe dua against the ruler. 
And he said, oh Allah, I ask you to remove tyrannical people and to bring back people who bring Izza to Islam. And he continued making this dua until the people thought he would be executed on the mimbar, on the mihrab. And as soon as he got down, he was imprisoned, thrown in jail, and then sent into exile. But that was just the beginning of his long journey because then he had a clash with the Mamluks. And then, subhanAllah, the entire you know, life of this sultan, he was exiled and thrown into jail and multiple times, but he stood up for the truth. And that's why nobody remembers the names of the sultans. Everybody knows the name of Al-Iz ibn Abdul Salam. Imam al-Nawi, the great scholar Imam al-Nawi, he lived under the famous Al-Zahir Baybaras. And Al-Zahir Baybaras, he had some good. He defeated the Mongols in Ain Jalut. But as with most rulers, I gave the talk you know, a few weeks ago about Salah al-Din, as with most politicians, even those that have good, they're politicians in the end of the day. And Al-Zahir Baybaras had a long list of things as well. Once under Zahir Baybaras, uh, some of the remnants in the Mongols were going to come back. The, 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 the invasion was going to be round two. So he gave a qarar that all of the people of the, 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 the town, the city, had to pay extra taxes so that he can finance an army. So he said, go to all of the scholars, make them sign this. I'm going to increase the taxes. All of them signed, except Imam al-Nawi. When he was asked, Imam al-Nawi didn't sign. He said, bring him to me. I shall make an example of him. And if he refuses to sign, I will execute him. How dare he not sign this qarar? Imam al-Nawi came to the palace of Al-Zahir Baybaras. And Al-Zahir Baybaras said, how dare you do not sign this? Don't you see this is jihad against the Mongols? And Imam al-Nawi said, oh Sultan, he was Mamluk. The Sultan was Mamluk, meaning he was born a slave. He rebelled, he became the Sultan al Khalif. A long story. Oh Sultan, I know that you were born a slave and Allah blessed you to become king. And you now have a thousand slaves of your own. Every slave has gold necklace and armor and chain. And you have so many hundreds or thousands of slave girls, Milki Amin, and every one of them wearing silk embroidery and whatnot. First, get rid of all your own possessions. First, live like everybody else and get rid of your own billionaire status. Then when you have nothing left and you must raise funds, I will come and sign the fatwa, go tax the people. Subhanallah, who's going to say this in our times? Who's going to say this in our times? Once you stop being a multi-billionaire in your personal wealth, then I will come and say, yes, tax the people, let us all come together and fight. But while you live in your palaces with a thousand servants, each servant has thousands of dollars, you know, or whatever you want to call it on them. How can I give the fatwa to the peasants that they must fight for your war? I refuse to do so. And Al-Zahir Baybaras literally was thinking of killing him. But he said, Khalas, let him go. You're in exile. You're never going to be in this land again. When he left, the vizier said in turn and said to him, O Sultan, you promised you would execute him. You said you're going to kill him. Why did you just exile him? And he said, when I saw him, a fear of him entered my heart that prevented me from giving the verdict to kill. That fear, it comes from up there. When Imam al-Nawi feared no one except Allah, the king feared him. Simple as that. The same philosophy, the same example is with Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And ibn Taymiyyah is again famous. He went into jail so many times. He also died in jail, ibn Taymiyyah, because the sultan just was, you know, whatever, many. But most famously, 
When the Mongols invaded, this is the actual Mongol Ghazan king invading. This is, again, I'm mixing eras, so don't get confused. No, he's 150 years before. Ibn Taymiyyah, the actual Mongols now are invading. Ghazan, the great-great-grandson of Chinggis Khan, the actual, the great-great-grandson is now invading Damascus, right? And Ibn Taymiyyah is in Damascus. Now, Ghazan had politically embraced Islam. He said he's a Muslim, but he didn't practice and whatnot. Long story, whatnot. And he called for a delegation of the ulama of the city to visit him. Ibn Taymiyyah was a part of that delegation. And when the scholars came, Ghazan laid out the best feast imaginable. You know, delectable delights, beautiful meats and different things. All the people eating. Ibn Taymiyyah has his hand there. One of his friends said, this is good food, eat. Ibn Taymiyyah says, how do you expect me to eat? when all of this meat has been stolen from the peasants and the cups we are using has been confiscated from the people. And, and he kept on going, how can I eat of this haram food? And he refused to eat a single morsel on that table. And then the scholars were called and Ibn Taymiyyah stood in front of everybody. All of you get quiet, I wanna be talking here. This is why I came here. And he raised his voice and his hand in front of Ghazan. And he gave him such a harsh lecture that Ghazan had to lower his face. Ibn Taymiyyah said, you claim to be a Muslim, yet the zulm we have seen from you, we haven't even seen from a kafir. And you claim this and that, and you have done this and that. And he kept on going on and on until one of the people who's narrating this, the story, he said, I was so worried they would cut his head off right then and there. I put my thobe and moved it away from the body of Ibn Taymiyyah in case the blood does not splatter on me. Literally moving away. That level. And Ghazan had never in his life been spoken to like this. And in the end, he lowered his head and didn't do anything to Ibn Taymiyyah. Once then, when they walked out, his, he said to Ibn, Ibn, Ibn Taymiyyah, said, he was, his friend said to Ibn Taymiyyah, when the colleague said that, were you not scared? Was there not any worry? And Ibn Taymiyyah responded, this is the covenant I have with Allah. I have to speak the truth. This is, if I'm not speaking the truth, I'm not doing my job. What he is saying, as Allah says in the Quran, Allah took a covenant with the people who have the book, the knowledge. You must clarify it to mankind and you shall not hide it from mankind. Anybody who has the book, anybody who has the knowledge has to live up to this responsibility. And we go on and on with so many other examples. Now, this is the default. That having been said, you always find throughout Islamic history, certain people, Allah Musta'an, they have sold themselves to the highest bidder. In every one of these courts, you had, we call them ulama as-salatin, you know it, ulama of the sultan. In every one of these courts, even in Ghazan's court, you had muftis and qadis and mu'addins and shuyukh. In Ghazan, the Mongol invasion. And you had Muslim judges over there on that side. You don't know their names because history does not record them. Even though in that era, those are the ones that are famous. Those are the ones that have power and wealth and fame and prestige. But here's the point. When history goes on, those who were famous in their lives become unknown in their deaths. And those who were persecuted or jailed or tortured, those who spoke the truth, they're the ones whose legacies and whose love and whose respect remains. Never ever judge an alim 
Wallahi, never judge an alim by his popularity. Never judge an alim by how eloquent he is. Never judge an alim by the sweetness of his speech. How is an alim known? When the alim speaks the truth when it is politically incorrect. When he stands up to the tyranny of those that are tyrannical, or even to the tyranny of popular culture, or the tyranny of the masses, or the tyranny of opinion. That's how you know an alim. An alim is shown by the truth that he speaks when people don't want to hear the truth. That is the strength of an alim. Even if he's not that eloquent, even if he cannot quote all the scripture instantaneously, but when he takes, you know, like our scholars have done. Now, there is an exception. And we find it in the likes of a few ulama. Yani for example, uh, 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 Zuhri was close to the Umayyads. We have as well uh, Al-Qadi Abu Yusuf, the student of Abu Hanifa. Eventually he took a position of a judge. Very rarely we find some of the ulama take positions with some of the Salatin. And they take on a position of leadership and whatnot. And generally speaking, we find that uh, you know, such people, they thought that the pros outweigh the cons. And you see from their akhlaq and you see from their knowledge that for that era they were right. The problem comes, and this is what our scholar said, one of the scholars of the past was, was told, why don't you go and advise the Sultan? He said, I am worried when I enter upon the Sultan, my niyyah will be pure. But by the time the Sultan is done with me, my niyyah will flip. I am worried right now I know my niyyah is pure. But by the time I enter, then he's going to dangle all the bait, going to give me this and that. And subhanAllah, in the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? So he said, I'm worried right now my niyyah is pure. But by the time he's done with me, I don't know what my niyyah will be. I'd rather not go. My point is, sometimes we find some exceptions. We ask Allah to reward and, and whatnot. But the general default, brothers and sisters, as per the ahadith, the ulama do not mix with the salatin. That's the general default. And we learn from history, those that do, generally speaking, end up corrupting themselves. One final point here, we see so much happening in the world right now. Wallahu musta'an. So many things that are politically bad, theologically bad. So many, you know, problems in the dunya. Subhanallah. Please understand, scholars in that region and area, don't judge them all to be the same. Silence is not the same as supporting. This is an excuse for them. You do not know, nor do I, what we would have done if the regime is going to kill if we speak out. There are countries now, you dare give the slightest khutbah and you will go to jail never to be seen again. You can be the imam of the most sacred place on earth and you give a khutbah that is unliked and you will be taken and never seen again. So cut some slack to those that are silent, they have an excuse. Not everybody can be Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Not every can be Abu Hanifa. Not everybody can be Ibn Taymiyyah. Most ulama, they can't reach that level. Don't expect them to cut them some slack. If they are silent and they go about their day teaching basic stuff and whatnot, no problem between them and Allah. You don't know what you would do, I don't know what I would do. There are also those that are somewhat generically supportive and that's a very awkward position but you kind of sense it they you can tell they've been forced that's what i'm trying to say you can tell by their wording they've been forced even those i cut some slack to to be honest but those that i don't forgive those you can sense they have sold themselves those you can sense they rubber stamp any fatwa that is needed rubber stamp and approval and to me 
that, that has lost all integrity. And you can tell, by the way, it is the sunnah of Allah that those who are insincere, people get to know of this. And you get a sense, even though you're not going to pass a shari verdict on this. But my point is, as I give this lecture and conclude, don't judge all of the ulama to be Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal ibn Taymiyyah al-Izz. Those that are, alhamdulillah, love them, make dua for them, support them. But understand the majority, and maybe we would be of that as well, they can't reach that level, no problem. But those you cannot excuse, those who justify zulm. Those who allow persecution, those who stamp killing of other people, imprisoning other people, normalizing relations with regimes you should not. That's the type of people. No, you have no excuse for that because you have betrayed. It's one thing to be forced and just give the bare minimum. And everybody knows by the language. And it's another thing to sell yourselves and be given izzah and be given the position and whatnot and you become their rubber stamp. Such people, a'udhu billah, we seek Allah's refuge. They have sold their deen for a little bit of the dunya. We never want to be like that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all ikhlas and taqwa. May Allah grant us the courage to recognize the truth and the courage to speak the truth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yudin al-haqqa haqqan warzukhna tiba'a wa yudin al-baatila baatilan warzukhna ishtinaba. Wazakumullahu khair. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما إن الذين يؤذون الله ورسوله لعنهم الله في الدنيا والآخرة وأعد لهم عذابا مهينا والذين يؤذون المؤمنين والمؤمنات بغير ما اكتسبوا فقد احتملوا بهتانا وإثما مبينا Thank uh...